positioned and placed, and so we'll give that a moment as you turn in your Bible to Second Chronicles. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the new year? And the sun is shining. Praise God. Sister Tiffany said that. She was with me. The sun is shining. Amen. I want the sun to shine, don't you? In more ways than one. I'm thankful for sunshine. Praise God. Praise God. I trust and pray and hope and believe that you all had a blessed holiday season. And uh, I am excited for this new year. Praise God. We are going to walk through a little bit of a word this morning, the word this morning. I want us to see something here. You know, Scripture has threads. And sometimes in the reading, we can read right over and through things. At least I know that happens to me. So I have to go back and read slower. And then there's, we have to go into the word with going, Lord, you who is the author of the word, speak to my heart, speak to my life. Help me to glean what you want me to glean from your word. Let your word reach into my spirit where I am, but also beyond where I am, Lord. I, I don't want to make everything about me and my stuff and where I, I want to enter into where you are. That's spiritual maturity. I want to enter into where you are, what you're doing. I want to be involved in what your plan is. That's also part of the dying to myself, right? That's a deepening of relationship with God, where my relationship becomes much more about him and his kingdom, not just about me and what he can do for my life. Okay? But I want us to see something here at the start of this year that I believe the Lord is calling us to. Because of what he desires. And I, I, I'm not going to try to blend all this together. I'm going to trust the Holy Ghost to do that for us. But I believe the things that God has been dealing with us about in fasting, our engagement in prayer, and what we're going to see in the Word today, I believe all of this is intertwined for what sets before us. Make no mistake about it. I'll say it now. I've said it before, and I will say it again. This is the church's finest hour. If we will submit ourselves to his purpose to be his church, I believe we become Acts chapter 29. You understand the book is still being written. You're living letters. Don't go looking for Acts 29. It's not in your Bible. Some of you are like, I don't see that. What's he talking about? That's us. We're the church. Amen. I want to be the church. Oh, I want to be the church the way he wants us to be the church. I want him to manifest himself through us the way he wants to. Don't you? I believe you do. Let's walk into the word. Can we do that today? Get your hand there and be ready to turn the pages. Okay. Follow along and hear the word of the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter one. Verse 1, and Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord, I like this line, and the Lord his God was with him. And look at this next line. And magnified him exceedingly. Skip down to verse number 3. 
So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. Skip down to verse 6. We're going to skip down and jump and move quite a bit because of time. I don't want to read 90 verses to you, nor do you want me to read 90 verses to you. But please, um, I, I say this periodically. I'm going to say it again. Please go back and read these chapters. We're going to jump through several chapters here. But receive the word into your spirit today and then go back and read these chapters in their entirety. And I believe God will continue to work in our hearts. Amen. So skipping down to verse number six. So they're at Gibeon, right? They're at the high place where Moses built the tabernacle. Verse six. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar. Say he went to the altar. He went to the altar before the Lord, which is at the tabernacle of the congregation. And I want you to watch. And he offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. I don't know how long that took. But that did not happen in a moment. That was not a one and done. He offered 1,000 burnt offerings. I think it's safe to say that Solomon had a heart for sacrifice to the Lord. Now watch the result of this offering. In that night did God appear to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. I know you're wanting more, but there's not more. I mean, there's more, but it's Solomon talking. That's everything God said when he appeared. Ask what I shall give you. I have a question for you. How would you like it if God showed up where you were and God said to you, ask me. Just ask me what I should give you. Blank check. No limit. Ask me what I should give you. Now, here's the thing. Many of our minds, when I throw that out there right now, we jump to an individual need that we have right in this moment. Nothing wrong with that. You can ask him about those things. Talk to him about those things. But notice, the Lord showed up and asked this question. Following Solomon's thousand offerings of sacrifice. There's something about this element of Solomon's life, sacrifice, that led God to know his heart revealed to me, I can ask him for whatever he wants me to do. And I don't have to worry that he'll ask for something just for himself. Because he has a heart for sacrifice. Now, that's just the first chapter of that book. Skip to chapter 2, verse 1. And Solomon determined, I like that word, to build a house for the name 
of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. I'm going to read that again. Solomon determined to build a house for the name of the Lord. I have a question. What would happen if you and I determined to build a house for the name of the Lord? Skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Now, I want you to notice something about that verse there. We're not going to take the time to go back and look. But it's interesting that the writer of Chronicles made reference as Solomon began. You're seeing a thread here in Solomon or in Chronicles about Solomon. Where he began to build the house was Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah happens to be the place where David, his father, had prepared something in a threshing floor. If you go back and you study this reference and you look at it in Scripture, it's where David came to Ornan's house because the Ark of the Covenant was there. And they had tried to move it, but that didn't go so well at first. So David just went there and he wanted to offer sacrifice to the Lord at his house. And he said to him, tell me how much for all this stuff and I'll buy it from you. And Ornan said, oh, no, 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 no. I'll just give it to you, my king, speaking to King David. I'll give it to you. And David said, oh, no. I will not offer sacrifice to the Lord without cost. David said, Tell me, and I will pay you the full price. That's the place where Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. Are you seeing a pattern here? I want you to remember that. He started building it at Mount Moriah. Can we just go back a little bit in Scripture here? If you go back to Genesis chapter 22, very familiar chapter in the book of Genesis, we find the story of Abraham, and Abraham was told of the Lord. Abraham, I'd like you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. And I want you to take him to the place that I'll show you. And there I'd like you to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham took his son, Isaac, and they went three days journey, him and his servants and the animals. And they went and they arrived at this place. And Abraham turned to his servants and said, wait here. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And they began their way up. Leave that verse up there, please, if you would. I'm sorry. Notice, I want you, you, you may not write, but you need to see this. Abraham and Isaac began their way up a mountain. And it was in that journey that Isaac turned to his father, Abraham, and said, Dad, we have wood, we have fire, but where is the sacrifice? Isaac understood, even as a young teenage boy at the most, he understood you can have wood, you can have fire, but there is no offering to God without a sacrifice. And so he knew, and Abraham in the infinite wisdom and under the prophetic utterance of God turned to Isaac and said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. But I like if you go back a few verses when Abraham told his servants, we're going to go up. He said, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. 
Abraham knew what he was called to do by God. He was called to sacrifice. But the beautiful thing about his statement, he says, I'm going to worship. It's beautiful. It's the first place in scripture you find worship mentioned. And it's sacrifice. And oh, by the way, why am I telling you that story? Because Abraham built an altar there. He laid his son there. And that place was Mount Moriah. God ordained sacrifice. God ordained sacrifice. And if you and I, like we read in 2 Chronicles 2 and 1, will along with the heart of God that was spoken out through Solomon will determine to build a house for the Lord. It will be at a place of sacrifice. There will be no house that God dwells in that doesn't come and begin at a place of sacrifice. Second Chronicles 4 and 1. So I told you we're skipping a lot of stuff. Now watch, he's determined to build a house. He said, I'm going to build a house. He started to build the house. Second Chronicles 4 and 1, he's building the house. And I want you to notice this first verse of this chapter. Moreover, this is Solomon, he made an altar. Everybody say, he made an altar. What do you do with an altar? I'll tell you what you do, you sacrifice. You sacrifice. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here. I feel the Holy Ghost stirring in my spirit. Second Chronicles 5. Again, I want you to see this thread. You could read all these verses, but sometimes when you read them all, you miss this. Second Chronicles 5 and verse 1. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and all the instruments he put among the treasures of the house of God. Skip down to verse 6. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed. Uh-oh, there it is again. He's finished the house. Now the congregation's all gathered together with him, and they're assembled before the ark. You understand the ark represents the very presence of God. They're assembled before the ark, and they sacrificed sheep and oxen. Notice that last line. Which could not be numbered for multitude. They lost count. There was so much sacrifice offered to God at the dedication of the house. Some of you get nervous, I can tell. You're like, we're reading and talking a lot about sacrifice here. Yes, we are. Skip down to verse 13. Same chapter. Now they've done all this. They've offered all this sacrifice without number. We read in 2 Chronicles 1, Solomon offered sacrifice and God appeared and said, what, will I, what should I give you? Now we see him in the congregation in the house that he was determined to build for the Lord. And they've offered innumerable sacrifices. It even came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound, that's unity, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That then 
The house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. This is the result of sacrifice. The glory of the Lord comes and fills the house to where ministers could not enter, the priests could not stand. Why? Because no flesh will glory in his presence. And so when the glory of the Lord filled the house, this is a reference to, if you study this, the Shekinah glory. You've heard that statement before. That it was the manifest visible glory of God in the form of a cloud. The Shekinah glory of God came and filled the house that men could not enter in. You can go back into the book of Exodus and you can see when they dedicated the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses that this same thing happened when they offered sacrifice to the Lord. The Shekinah glory of God came down in the wilderness and filled the tabernacle to where men could not enter in because of the glory of the Lord. There is a design of God, and we understand this in the New Testament, what we see in types and shadows in the historical accounts of the old, that the glory of the Lord still desires to fill the house. But when the glory of the Lord fills the house, flesh cannot dwell there. When the glory of the Lord fills the house, Flesh cannot dwell there. This is why in Moses' tabernacle in the wilderness, they could not enter in when the glory came. It's why here in Solomon's temple, they could not enter in when the glory filled the house. And it's why for you and I to be used as the house and the dwelling place of God, that for the glory of the Lord to truly fill our lives and show forth the way He wants to, there will be sacrifice and there will be a dying to ourselves, for no flesh will glory in his presence. Now watch. I don't even know what verse one. There we go. I'm glad you got that up there. Thank you. Go to Second Chronicles chapter six. We just finished chapter five. Glory of the Lord filled the house. Chapter six, verse one. Then said Solomon. The Lord hath said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. But I have built a house of habitation for you and a place for your dwelling forever. And the king turned his face and he blessed the whole congregation of Israel and all the congregation of Israel stood. Skip down to verse 10. All those other... Solomon's praying here. Chapter 6 is Solomon praying if you read and you look, he had built this platform and he, that he was standing on when he addressed the people. But by verse 4 or verse 5, he kneels down on that platform, lays his hands out before the Lord and the people and begins to cry out to God. Outside the temple that he's built where the glory of the Lord has just come and filled that we read in chapter 5. And here he's still praying in verse number 10. The Lord, therefore, hath performed His word. Notice He didn't say, I did it. The Lord hath performed His word that He's spoken. 
For I am risen up in the room of David my father and am set on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And in it have I put the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord that He made with the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 17. He's still praying. All those verses are Solomon praying. That's why I say go back and read and hear the word of the Lord as Solomon cries out to God. Verse 17. Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be verified, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God, notice his question, his recognition of the greatness of God. But will God in very deed, or will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon is kneeling outside the temple. And the glory of the Lord following innumerable sacrifices filled the temple. And he's praying for the people and he's praying to the Lord. And he's acknowledging though the house that God has allowed him to build is so magnificent. He still understands. Would God indeed dwell with men on the earth? How is it that the great omnipotent, omniscient God, would He really come? He built it in faith. He built it under the inspiration of God. But He's crying out in humility. Would God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Oh, He would. He would come and wrap Himself in flesh and dwell among us. Solomon was prophesying and declaring he would come and dwell with men on the earth. God indeed would. How is it that the heaven and the heaven of heavens can't contain you? How much less a house that I build? I would like to, with Solomon today, determine to build a house for the Lord like never before in 2023. I would desire that the glory of the Lord would so fill the house that flesh could not dwell there. And I hear Solomon's cry, and it rings in my spirit. Would God indeed dwell with men? Heaven of heavens can't contain you, how much less... Make it your prayer. How much less this house that I've built. But I hear the Apostle Paul standing on Mars Hill years and years later and declaring to those of Athens, I passed by the altar with the inscription to the unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. Him, therefore, I declare unto you. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And he's not far from every one of you. What was Paul declaring? He was declaring something Solomon has reaching to with the hunger of his heart. And declaring when he was praying there in 2 Chronicles. But Paul had stepped into a dimension in the New Testament that you and I are privileged and called to walk in should we so choose. 
where the very glory of God, where God Himself would come and dwell in a temple not made with hands. Would you and I somehow, I feel and hear the beckoning of the Spirit of God today at the advent of this new year asking, would you build and prepare a house for my glory to dwell? Are you willing with your life, a temple not made with hands, to lay it up on an altar of sacrifice and allow me to come and bless that where I desire to dwell? Would you and I determine to build Him a house? Watch Second Chronicles 7. It only gets better. Verse 1. All of chapter 6 is him praying. I wanted to read the whole prayer, but we just don't have time. You go back and read it. See all the things. Chapter 7. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, watch. The fire came down from heaven. And it consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. You know what that tells me? Now, remember, we had read in chapter 5, there were innumerable sacrifices. So much so that the glory of the Lord filled the house. And then in chapter 6, Solomon begins praying outside. But apparently they had some other sacrifices still yet laying on the altar. And when he began praying, when he finished praying and crying out to the Lord, fire fell from heaven and consumed that sacrifice which he had. And the priests could not enter, verse 2, into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and they worshiped and they praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people, watch, you see this pattern. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Notice verse 5. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20 2,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? We find a pattern in Solomon's example that still applies to the house of God today. But it's not a building made with hands. It's mine and your life. And the pattern is very clear. It's one of sacrifice. It's one of sacrifice. 
They dedicated the house of God. The only way I know to relay it is the way the word says it. I hear the beckoning of the spirit of God here at the turning of this new year asking us. Would you wholly dedicate the house of God? Not this building. This building. Would you and I, what would happen if we entered into the dimension that Solomon entered into of sacrifice where the Lord led us? I'll tell you what would happen. The fire of God would fall upon the altar. And it would consume the sacrifice. This, the writer of Hebrews said of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the living God, our God is a consuming fire. John the Baptist declared it of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said, truly, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But there cometh one after me who shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I want to be baptized with fire. And I've searched the book. I've searched the book. I've dug through the book. I've read the book. The only way fire gets in my tabernacle is if I put sacrifice on the altar. The only way that I can be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I hear me this morning. I thank God for the baptism of His Spirit. I thank God for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost itself will not do what needs to be done in the world if it lacks fire. There must be fire burning in the temple. There must be fire burning in the temple. There must be fire burning in the temple. And the only way fire of God will come to the temple is if there is a sacrifice continually on the altar. I'm afraid, even for myself, in North America especially, we have become so comfortable. We've become so content. We've become so complacent. We've made Him a God of provision. We've made Him a God of blessing. We've made Him a God of give me. We've made Him a God of put into my hand. God supply my need. God fix my problem. God make this better. We've made Him that God. And somewhere along the way, there's an element that's begin to escape us. It's an element of sacrifice. There's an element that God is beckoning for afresh and anew. It's an element that He's inviting us to enter into with all of our being. He said, could I get a sacrifice on the altar again? Is it possible that the church's attention would turn from the things of the world and seeking to better their life in this world and get their life upon an altar of sacrifice whereby everything in this world becomes irrelevant and the things of God consume every part of our being to where I'll lay my life upon the altar and pray until the fire of God falls and consumes the sacrifice. I want to be consumed. I want to be consumed. I want to be consumed. Verse 6. The priests waited on their offices. The Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which David the king had made to praise the Lord, because His mercy endures forever. When David praised by their ministry, and the priests sounded the trumpets before them, and all Israel stood. 
Verse 7. Moreover, Solomon hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. Notice, there was sacrifice in the house of the Lord. There was sacrifice on the altar. But Solomon didn't stop there. Solomon said, I'm going further. I'm going further. I'm also going to hallow the middle of the court. There is a beckoning call of the Spirit to holiness. Fire consumes things that are not of God. And Solomon said, I'm not stopping with the tabernacle. I'm going outside of it too. Things around me are going to be hallowed holy unto the Lord. He hallowed the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. How? For there he offered burnt offerings. There's something in the heart of Solomon that God is wanting to get into the heart of the church today. It is a heart of sacrifice. I read in 2 Chronicles 1 where he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Why? Because you see when he did that individually, personally, God met him and said, what should I And then he began to build a place for the Lord and for the congregation. It went beyond himself. And still yet he sacrificed and he sacrificed and he sacrificed. There he offered burnt offerings, the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar, watch, the brazen altar which he had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the meat offerings. What does that mean, wasn't able? It meant they had offered so much offering and so much sacrifice. He had to find another place to offer sacrifice because there was so much on the brazen altar. They couldn't put more there. Solomon had a heart for sacrifice. Skip down to verse 11. Watch. All of that's happened. And then, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord. You know what that verse tells me? He was done building several chapters back. But the house of the Lord was not considered finished until it was filled with sacrifice. He finished the house of the Lord in the king's house and all, not some, all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he prosperously affected. Verse 12. Now watch, see if this doesn't sound familiar. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. You want God to show up And begin to ask you, what would you like me to do? You want God to show up and declare to you, I heard your prayer. You know why it doesn't happen more often? We're not willing to sacrifice. We're not willing to lay things on the altar and submit them to him. We want him to do it our way. But Watch, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place. To myself. For what? A house of sacrifice. Oh, we often talk about my house shall be called a house of prayer. And it should. 
But the Lord God said of the place that Solomon prepared for him that his glory filled. All these sacrifices that night when Solomon was by himself again, the Lord appeared to him. Something about sacrifice moves the heart of God that says, I want to respond to the child of God that sacrifices, and I want them to know I hear their cry. Now, if you don't, you, you and I just aren't registering because we didn't take the time, how powerful that scripture right there is. Because if you go back and you read 2 Chronicles chapter 6, the whole prayer that Solomon prayed, then you realize how powerful that is. And if you keep reading here, we're not going to read all of it for sake of time, but if you keep reading here in chapter 7, you'll see God line by line referring to Solomon's prayer and telling him, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do what you ask, and I'm going to do what you ask, and I'm going to do what you ask, and I'm going to, and if I'm troubling people here, but if you'll cry out to me in this place of sacrifice, I'm going to answer. And if you're over here and the armies of Israel are being defeated, if you'll cry out to me in this place that I'm calling the house of sacrifice, I'll answer and I'll speedily. God responds to every element that Solomon prayed, telling you it's the result of sacrifice. It's the result of sacrifice. We didn't read all of it today for sake of time, but we, we read past it in 2 Chronicles 7. 4, 5, 7, you see sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. One, and sacrifice, sacrifice. What is it? He was taking things. You say, man, how did he, how could he offer 22,000 oxen and 120? We know Solomon was greatly blessed. What was he doing? He wasn't just going, you know, I'm greatly blessed. Here's a little bit I got. I'll throw some, you know. Here's 50 sheep and 50. No, no, no. He understood. I'm greatly blessed. I'm putting a lot. It's got to cost me something. We don't have time this morning. But we referenced it in Genesis 22. Abraham sacrificed. He put Isaac on the altar. And God met him there and said, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, Isaac, in blessing, I will bless thee. And he made a lifelong promise to Abraham that through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it happened at a place of sacrifice. And you and I are entered into the promise of Abraham today. Because Abraham had an altar of sacrifice. Precious people of God. We need to build altars. And they need to be altars of sacrifice. If we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I firmly believe the word of God that we are when his spirit dwells in us. A temple with no altar is really no temple at all. It's religious tradition and routine. There must be an altar in the temple. I'm not talking about this building. Yes, we need an altar. I thank God for it. But in this temple, not made with hands, you and I must have an altar. And just as they in the Old Testament sacrificed daily upon the altar, you and I must. Abraham built an altar and Isaac was on it. Isaac understood the power of sacrifice. Genesis 26, it's beautiful to me. 
excuse me. Genesis 26, Isaac builds an altar. Why? I believe he saw his father build one. He said, I want the God that my father served to be my God as well. I'm building an altar for myself. Genesis 32, Genesis 35, we find Jacob, and Jacob is building an altar. His dad built an altar. His grandfather built an altar. Jacob's building an altar. What happens? I'm telling you, mom and dad, somebody hear me today. If you don't build an altar, your kids may not. You know the difference between Saul's kingdom and David's kingdom? Saul never built an altar. He always went to Samuel's altar. He always wanted Samuel to sacrifice for him. And the one time he tried to sacrifice, it wasn't on an altar he built. And God rejected it. But David built altars. David built altars. David offered sacrifice. And obviously David got something into the heart of his son Solomon that said, Solomon, build a house for the Lord. And somehow Solomon understood from his father David's life, if I'm building a place for God, there's going to be much sacrifice. Moms and dads, don't expect your children to walk in the things of God with wholehearted commitment if you're walking half-hearted. Don't expect them to give themselves wholly to the kingdom if you are partially giving and caught up in all the things of the world and your priorities are out of line. It affects your children too. But mom and dad, can I implore you today? Children of God, can I implore you today? Build an altar purpose that your life, if nothing else in this year, will be a house built for the Lord. And it will be a place where sacrifice can happen and the fire of the Lord can come. It's critical for our world. Moses even built altars. We know this, Moses, in Exodus 17 and Exodus 24. It's beautiful to me in Exodus 17 and 15. You don't have to go there. Just referencing it. Exodus 17, we find the Amalekites fighting. And the Lord gave them victory over by the raising of Moses' hands. And Moses built an altar there. And it was there at that altar that Moses declared the Lord to be Jehovah Nissi, my banner, my standard. The flag that I raise. That's what he determined at that altar. And is it any wonder we find later in Scripture when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a banner or a standard against him. Moses at his altar learned the Lord is that banner. The Lord is that standard. He came to know Jehovah Nissi. What is a standard? A standard is a rallying place for the armies of God. A standard, that flag, when it was raised, it was understood on the field of battle. When the standard went up, the army would rally to that location to discomfit the enemy. And, and Moses built an altar after the Lord wrought a victory through Israel. And he, at that altar in Exodus 17, he said, The Lord is my banner. Because he understood when they lifted my hand, it was a work of God that took place in that valley through Joshua that defeated the enemy. The Lord is my standard. The world isn't the banner that I rallied to. The Lord will raise up a standard in my life. And when He raises up, all the armies of the Lord of hosts would come to my aid. How does that happen? It happens at an altar. You come to know Him at an altar.
Joshua had altars. Joshua built an altar in the middle of the Jordan River. The Lord told the priest to build one when they got to the other side. Jordan. Joshua was so moved, he stopped in the middle of Jordan. He built his own altar right in the middle of Jordan. Or part of it, read it there. I don't have time. David built altars, and as a result, as we've read this morning, Solomon built them. 1 Kings chapter 18, probably the most familiar to many of us. Elijah built an altar. Israel was worshiping Baal. Baal's 400 prophets. Elijah built an altar, 12 stones, dug a trench around it, 12 buckets of water poured over it, and he prayed a 62 or 63 word prayer. And fire of God fell down and consumed the sacrifice that was on the altar. You want the fire of God in your life? Really, you want the fire of God burning in your life? To where it burns out every impurity. To where it burns out all the chaff. And to where it shines bright like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. There's only one way. You and I must put a sacrifice Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Apostle Paul's writing to the church. He says, I beg you, or I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, separated, set apart, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You say, what sacrifice? Oh, it comes in a lot of shapes and forms. comes in a lot of shapes and forms. I'm 52 years old. If God tarries and he's merciful, Probably got 25 to 30 just strong years left. That's less than I've already lived. I'm very aware of that fact. But I look around this room. I see young people, Melanie, Mariah, Alyssa. I look around, I see young families, Raphael, Veronica, others. Not singling people out, I'm just telling you. I look at the youth in this room, among many of you, and that's not disqualifying us older ones. We need one another. But if somehow, by the Spirit of God, I could, through His Word, help you to see and understand that if you would place your life on the altar, Say, God, I don't know how or what you would do with this vessel. There I am.
Let the fire of your spirit consume every part of me. Whatever you'd ask of me, if you'll give me grace, I'll lay it on the altar. Some of you need to sacrifice some apps on your phone. I'm just going to say that. I know that's sort of funny, but I'm being dead serious too. You need to get those things. Not because there's something wrong with them. They're just taking too much of your time. They're distracting you from time building the house of the Lord. They're distracting you and I from time to be building the house of the Lord. All of your hobbies aren't wrong, you understand. But I feel the beckoning of the Spirit at the beginning of this new year inviting you to take some things. This isn't... You understand, God doesn't want our sin. He died for our sin. He, he took that away by the blood. He's asking us to take those things, not things that are sin, things that we value and lay them on the altar. Lay them on the altar and leave them there until the fire of God falls and consumes it. Take my schedule and put it on the altar. Take my will and put it on the altar. Take my ambition and put it on the altar. Take my dream and put it on the altar. Dare I say, take the promise of God and put it on the altar to where I declare to Him, everything I am is yours. Everything I'm not is yours. All that I have is yours. What I don't have is yours. All of me is yours. I'm just desiring the fire of your Spirit. To fall upon the altar and consume the sacrifice. It's the only way the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And hear me, it's all about the glory of the Lord being revealed to a world that will be lost if it's not. We won't get there by our own efforts. We'll only get there by lives laid on the altar of sacrifice. There are stories throughout history. We could spend another hour, we won't, going through them one after the other after the other. Of men and women who laid down their lives for the cause Christ, they put their life on the altar of sacrifice. I'm reminded of the Moravian, I think it's Moravian missionaries. Stand with me, please. I'm reminded of there was a it's a true story. You can search it. They still have a following today, Moravian missionaries. Many years ago, there was an island to which prisoners were banished and 
it was a way they would deal with them to where they couldn't no longer be a threat to society. And the Lord put it in the heart of these two young men to go to that island to share the gospel with those that had been banished to life on that island as prisoners and criminals. Knowing if they went, they could not return. That their life would be spent there as a result of their choice. And it's recorded in history that as they set sail on the ship and look back to their family standing by the side of the ship, that their declaration was simply this, may the Lamb of God receive the reward of His suffering. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of His suffering. And it became the cry of the Moravian missionary, those two young men's declaration that day. What were they saying? Well, I feel the Spirit of the Lord beckoning to us today. You and I laying our life on an altar of sacrifice is simply an acknowledgement to the Lord that says, you gave everything for me. You're not asking anything of me that can compare to what you've done that made a way for me. And the beauty, the beauty is exactly what we saw in Second Chronicles and in all these other situations. The Lord appeared to Solomon. Said, what shall I give you? The Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place unto me, to myself, as a house of sacrifice. You know what? That's what I want, Israel. I want the Lord to say, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place you've built as a house of sacrifice and I'll put my name there and I'll dwell there and the fire of the Lord will fall there in Jesus name. I'm opening this altar to you today. What would you lay on the altar today? What would you lay on the altar today at the beginning of this year? What would you give him? You understand we're not bribing God. It's a renewal of commitment for some, or it's a new commitment for some. It's saying, Lord, now come on, there's a recognition along this. It's not just a few tears, but I, the Lord's taking us somewhere. He really is. He's taking us somewhere. There's a recognition. Lord, I've held on to some things that I've not been willing to lay on the altar. I've held on to some things, God. Certain things that eat up my time, eat up my energy, maybe eat up my finances. These things that, that rob that which I should be wholly giving to you, Lord. I, I'm wanting to lay it all upon the altar.